Hi, this is Aaron Eisberg Nog from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Beyond Trek. You can follow them on Twitter at Beyond Trek Pod and on Facebook at Beyond Trek Productions. This is Beyond Trek Podcast, your source for Star Trek on social media and around the web. I'm Big J. I'm Marie. And I'm Dag, the Trivia Master. You can find us on Facebook at Beyond Trek Podcast and on Twitter at Beyond Trek Pod. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this next episode of Beyond Trek Podcast. Today, we're in the booth with Big J. Say hi, Big J. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us again for another podcast. And Lore. Say hi, Lore. Hello, all. And today we are going to be talking about the DS9 doc that was kickstarted and just released to the public um, last week. And uh, Big J and Laurie and I have had the opportunity to watch the documentary and most of the special features by now. And uh, just um, at the beginning, Max Grodenchik just being like, here is our jazz dedication to Deep Space Nine. I thought that was beautiful. It, it made me cry a little bit. That was a great way to open. Hearing him sing and just the way it started was was very was very nice. Like I was not expecting this documentary to start with a uh, you know a, a, basically a song with with a music, and it was it was really pretty captivating to start out that way. And uh, just the way that he was like, I miss Quarks and I miss Cisco and, uh, you know, his home sweet home. And I thought that was just beautiful. And being someone who just watched the entirety of DS9 in the last, you know, year uh, to come to see the this documentary and, and see this presented. First off, I didn't even know that they did that, which was a fantastic surprise, you know, that they, they do that at their their panels that. At cons and whatnot, and I thought it was just you, there really isn't anything else like that for a fan base of a particular show uh, that I've yet to see. Right? Yeah, they, they've got an actual band. So you've got uh, Max Grudenchek, um, Armin, Armin Shimmerman, uh, yeah, Armin Shimmerman, Jeffrey Combs, and Casey Biggs. That they, they they do they do a song thing. So, and for those of you listening who don't know the actors from the characters, that's Rom, Quark, Wei Yoon slash uh, like half a dozen other characters. And, uh, Damar, who in my opinion, probably had with Nog, one of the greatest arcs of the entire series of all of those characters. Brunt F C A. You have a little, a little bit too little lisp there. Brunt, F-C-A. Oh, that was perfect. But that, we that can't do it. Can't do it any better than the marvelous <laughs> Jeffrey Combs. You, you, you can't. And uh, so, Lori, I really envy you having just watched it. And you got to see it. You got to see Deep Space Nine in the way that it was, I, I think, truly uh, the pioneering. And, and how it was intended to be was something that you can you can binge watch. Uh, this was back in the day when there was really no such thing as binge watching. You had to wait every week for the next episode. And that was one of the things that was talked about a few times in this documentary was just the the overwhelming risk that they took in doing serialized television. And uh, Rick Berman, during this uh, during the interview in the documentary, uh, 
talked about how the studio was just not a fan of serialized storytelling. They wanted their syndication opportunity. They wanted these self-contained episodes, uh, you know, to where you could just kind of jump in whenever you wanted. Uh, Alexander Siddig in the in the documentary said that it was kind of like a, a kind of like a Big Mac. You know, you, you've get, you've got this hamburger that you it's the same way no matter when or how you do it. And they took a lot of risks with this. And I think the reason that Deep Space Nine has become even more popular is because of the, the streaming services like Netflix, where you can just just churn out this this whole thing and really enjoy it. Uh, if you're really dedicated, maybe you'll be able to get it done in, what, a week, couple weeks? I mean, how long did it take you to get through it? I believe we started about this time last year. Now, given that wasn't a consistent watching schedule because I I like being able to watch it with Dag here who who knows Star Trek the way I know Lord of the Rings. <laughs> uh, but I think I think it, and this is a weird experience because listening to them talk about how the studio fought them on this, um, on not wanting to serialize this and keep it into neat little episodes and that are that you know you can have a little bite-sized part and not feel like you're totally left out. And right, yes, it was. it was like a fight. The the whole it sounded like from the documentary is pretty much a, a constant seven-year battle. It was. And and unless you were the person who would meticulously set up your VCR and have a, a stack of empty tapes ready to go to record this, like some of us, yeah. <laughs> I, I did that to a few shows myself uh, that weren't serialized, uh, then, right, it, the masses that they were trying to pull in for this, what they were attempting to sort of make a mainstream show, really wouldn't have been that dedicated. So I can understand why they would have fought that. Um, but it almost seemed like the story took over everyone in the crew and the cast in, in the writers. Uh, it sort of became a mind of its own and said, no worry, we need to do this. And this is how this is going to work. And it became what it is. And look, it's now making them still quite a bit more money because it's resurged with the ability to binge watch things. Well, and they were right. They were absolutely right in regards to the difficulty of the serialized storytelling. Because when uh, when D Space Nine aired, I want to say that was it was ninety two. Ninety two, if I if I recall correctly. Um, no, no, I'm sorry. Probably closer to 90, 93, 94. I'd, I'd have to look it up. January but, of ninety three. Yeah, there we go. There we go. January ninety three. You're, you're all going to yeah, hate me. The, the show the show aired before I was born. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh, this hurts. Yeah. DS9, DS9 was in the middle of its first season summer break when Laurie was born. I'm, I'm grabbing my chest here. I'm just like, I, I was about to. I, Let's I not was, give one of the co hosts a coronary today. No, we no, don't no have 24th attacks. century you're, tech. You're fine. I was going into my <laughs> sophomore year of high school. <laughs> oh, man. I'm checking my pulse right now. Jesus. Jesus <laughs> Christ. From the perspective of, of watching TNG and then going into DS9, and I grew up watching reruns of TNG because my dad liked it. I didn't watch them in any particular order and i think that proved a point hearing it from the writers and then watching ds9 after watching tng in order that there is a distinct difference between tng's neat bite-sized episodes 
uh, and fewer, you know, extended storylines that might span two or three episodes. And Deep Space Nine's serialized plot line that really develops over all the seasons. Right. And, and see, so the, the, the problem was the, the problem that, that I encountered, which really uh, agrees with the, what they were saying. When I was in, was in high school, <clears throat> I was able to see every episode every week, was able to, uh, to keep caught up. But uh, when I was going into college, I remember this was the, uh, the fall of 96 was my uh, first year in college. And so Deep Space Nine was going into the fifth season. And it started to get really hard to follow because at the time, uh, at least in, in my area where, where I'm at, it was on Fox 19. So it was on the, the, the Fox affiliate uh, out here. And it seemed like they kept changing the date, kept, uh, kept changing the day, kept changing the time. And uh, on top of just college, playing sports, uh, you know, school, just the socializing, everything else, I, I lost that thread of being able to, there were a lot of factors that went into not being able to keep up with it. So most of the fifth and sixth season was kind of, was kind of blotchy in regards to how much I was able to catch. And I just, I knew I missed so much because there was that sense of what is going on? Oh my God, what have I missed? Et cetera, et cetera. But it was nice when I finally did get to doing a rewatch of it, uh, which I did about a year or so ago, I did a rewatch of, of DS9. That was kind of a, a treat was that I was able to then see all these episodes that I that I missed. And what, what got me really excited in the, the beginning of the, the documentary was how they went through and they started this. And it was kind of a thread that went through the whole documentary as to uh, when the writer sat down and they broke the script on a uh, what would be their vision of an eighth season, which was was pretty exciting. Like I, I, I like the idea of Nog being a captain on the Defiant. I, I think that the the way they were writing it, and this was what I really liked about seeing, there, there was a lot of consistency in the the writing staff, production staff, showrunner, which I think is a, is a shame. I miss that because now with with Discovery, it, it's like you've, you've got a different showrunner every couple of weeks, and it just feels like there's there, there's not that that cohesive bond that DS9 had, and it was so character driven and and, and so these writers had a passion for it and you can see it when they're when they're talking about and breaking into what their their eighth season would be that was that was an absolute treat to watch them become a little think tank and and brainstorm the eighth season together that's the kind of camaraderie that we all wish we had when we went to work right because that's oh yeah absolutely oh it was it was beautiful and you can see how that comes out in the final product it was really also nice that they accompanied their writer's room conversation with illustration and animation. Oh, uh, that was great. Yes. That rendering was Veda, gorgeous. Veda Kira, who is the, I guess, still the administrator of Deep Space Nine, but Deep Space Nine is a shrine. There are emissary statues lining the promenade, shrine each one holding museum, uh, an orb of the prophets. And I'm like, I'm thinking in my head, like, the orbs of the prophets, almost like infinity stones. Whoever wields them all has the power of the prophets or whatever. Oh, wow. But, that's great. Oh, um, but, you know, I'm just going to jump to the end of that segment. We can still talk about it, but I'm just going to jump to the very end where my mind is focusing. When they're like the defiant explodes 
And then they get into this brawl on the promenade where Kira has to choose sides and she grabs a phaser and, t- and defends her friends. And then Cisco shows up and that's like the to be continued of the first episode. I'm really hoping that Cisco shows up with the crew of the Defiant and Nog. I was blown. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was blown away. It's like, <laughs> just, just, kill just, Nog. just flash them onto the promenade from that time. It is that that's classic Deep Space Nine right there. Just the the, the character conflict, uh, Kira being caught in the middle between what uh, what Bajor was doing and then her her friends. And it's it's that kind of thing that I think really defined Deep Space Nine and, and why so many people uh, like when, when, when you watch the documentary and they show everyone coming together again for the Vanity Fair shoot, it was just like. One big happy family. They're, yeah. they're all together again. Yep. Yeah, it was really cool. You know, this was like a compiled effort over four years, and they've got several interviews um, with various aspects of the cast. You know, one of them they've got Ira and Aaron, and then all the actors who played the villains. And then they've got you know the the main cast is sort of split up. You've got Terry and Nana who are hanging out with Ira. And talking about how uh, <laughs> that time Ira pitched a an affair between Kira and Ducat, and Nana oh, just yeah. loses and, it. And everybody like, threw up. No. and I love. Yeah, she was not happy about that. I no. love reading about that because on Memory Alpha, Nana Visitors page talks about how she adamantly refused to have any kind of sympathy for Ducat. She knew exactly where Kira stood and was never going to compromise on that boundary. And I love, you can see that emphatically in her response. She's as fiery Ira, as her character. And I'm just sitting there, I'm like, I'm going to swoon. <laughs> when Ira's like <laughs> denying, no, we never wrote that. And she's just like, <gasps> and yes, for those of you watching, you know what we're talking about. <laughs> do not tell me I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah, yeah you're, you're, you're right. And that was the thing that, that was really amazing about it was they're talking about like these different, stories and these different small nuances that they, after all these years, they still remember about and they still talk about. And that was, yes, you're right. That, that was, I was just rewatching that part uh, before we started. And, you know, I, I thought, I thought that the character of, of Gold Ducat and the way that he was played uh, again was, he was, what I liked about his character was that he wasn't a classic mustache twirling villain he was uh i I almost want to say more anti-hero than villain because he really believed in what he was doing and he he believed that what he did not not to say that what he did was right i'm not talking about the the occupation but more so of uh cardassia after that and uh its entrance into uh signing uh aligning with the dominion It, it it really felt like that he he believed in what, what he was doing, almost like Thanos. I, I kind of, in a way, describe uh, or compare Gold to uh, Gold Ducat to Thanos because Thanos in Infinity War, uh, especially Infinity War, he really, for a moment, got you to think that, hey, maybe what he's doing makes sense and it's the Avengers that are wrong. They're, they're the You're ones so that are shaking our heads on our side. <laughs> I, I I know I know it's it's a insert clip where Ducat says I should have killed all of them. I okay 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 no you have a point. One of them. 
you do have a point. And they, that was the angle that they really wanted you to see. And that's, I think, and maybe this is just me because I binge watched as I've binge watched SVU as a kid. So way too much law and order on my part. Maybe that's just me. Um, Great show. Great show. (laughs) Uh, But the, the angle, the, the, the way that he's depicted, how much of him you see, how much exposition you get and, and how much of his thoughts are, are splayed across the screen and, and, you know, the villain monologue, if you will. Um, that he gets to do, and yes, they, he we want to to set him up as he, he was wanted to be set up as a, as a sympathetic villain. The problem is that he he at this court isn't because there's a there's a very fine line I think between sympathetic villain and outright psychopath. And after after several seasons, I was like, okay, maybe he's a sympathetic villain, and then at at from the last half of six into seven, I'm like, no, this guy's an outright psychopath. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. He has no actual remorse for the people he's hurting. Yes. He fully believes in what he's doing, but he's extremely manipulative. And that is all that is happening. He is going to manipulate anyone and everyone around him to get what he wants and what he believes in, uh, which includes Kira. And, and he doesn't care what cost, who has to pay for it, who has to die, who, you know, how much, how much grief and anxiety and, and outright stress and, and anger he causes to anyone and particularly Kira. And he likes that. And you're right. He's crazy. <laughs> well, yes, um, <laughs> I, I think that the death, the death of his, uh, and I, I, we have to say now, if you haven't seen this, the series before now, spoiler folks, it's alert. 20, yes, there's going to be spoilers. It's, it's over 20 years old and, you know, so, uh, but, but yeah, when I think it, it was, yeah, uh, well, seasons three, four, five, and, uh, once we got into six is when that, that downward slide happened when, when he lost the all, I, I do think that for a few seasons there you could kind of maybe sort of i don't want to say sympathize but like he it it seemed like he was going to come around yes it seemed like he was going to come around but you're right he got he got broke by by what happened and when you're talking about about huge character arcs i really think that uh you're right you're right dagwin mentioned it earlier nog and uh uh, they had some some serious like big character arcs oh, i'm sorry damar i just uh, want yeah, to say yeah, that yeah, I'm damar. damar right right yeah not nog and damar I, I mean for that's what i liked about these face nine it was not just the um the, the the captain the first officer and the doctor every episode show it was a, a big ensemble cast and that was one of the things that the, the documentary talked about was just these these arcs that these characters went through. And when you take Cisco or Dax, O'Brien, yes, everyone kind of had their arc, but none as impactful as Nog and Damar. It, it just really felt like it was a, it was a huge change. I mean, can, can you think of any character that had as big a, an arc or a change in that show? Well, they, they even comment on that in the writer's room. They talk about how the, the character on DS9 who had the smallest arc still had more of an arc than any character on TNG. 
Sure. Absolutely. And, and, and while I could argue that Wesley ascended to time traveling God, he's up there with Cisco. Right. Uh, right. But <laughs> and it was nice enough to show to uh, uh, Will and Dina's <laughs> wedding. <laughs> right. But, but, you know, even then Wesley's, Wesley's ascent was a single episode of being upset with Starfleet and then deciding to go skip the universe with the traveler. He didn't get that seven season buildup of, okay, joining the prophets actually makes sense for Cisco. I was a little upset about the end, but. Well, and Avery Brooks said that he wanted to ensure that Cisco was not going to be gone forever as a, uh, as a black father. He wanted to represent someone who was present. Oh gosh. That's like having the best mug of, of hot chocolate you've ever had watching this beautiful storyline of, and, and the bonding and the, the growth and all the things that, you know, we might fight about on the show or that show or some other show. And here you've got Avery throwing heart and soul into this storyline. And I, I, I was speechless for a lot of it. And I was thrilled for what it is, especially for, for the development of like his family and, and the, the relationship he has with his son. And then with, um, with Cassidy and and with his father and you see so much of into his personal life and I'm like this is this is this is, ah why are other shows this wholesome gosh dark star trek my foot Mm-mm. right well in in uh Sierra Clopton was even quoted as saying in the, the documentary that uh off screen Avery Brooks and and himself would spend time together uh you know basketball games etc cetera, etc cetera. and he said that Avery introduced him as his son, along with his his actual son. Son, like these these are my sons. So it was really the 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 bond was there as as actors and as as people because Avery really treated Sirach like his son. So that when playing these characters, it, it really came through as, as believable and, and genuine because it was. And it's very interesting how you mention Cisco uh, being a black man and being a single father. So back when uh, the show was, was airing, that was kind of a big, uh, a big thing that uh, a lot of people were uh, really wanting to die on that hill of, Oh my God, there's going to be a, an African-American commander. Uh, He's going to be a single father. These were all things that before the show even aired had, had people ruffled up about and it's just you know how it is with with star trek with star trek fans it does not matter what show it is there's always there there were naysayers for tng and it has become like the the holy grail there were naysayers about tng naysayers about ds9 voyager enterprise discovery picard now not as many not as many naysayers with with picard because i mean you you don't you don't mess with patrick stewart but basically no one has liked yeah, no one has liked any of these Star Trek shows when they're about to air. And, and I remembered how controversial that was, but I could really, really relate. Well, I can relate to it more now than I did when I was, you know, when I was a teenager watching it, but uh, because I'm a minority as well. And uh, as, as African-American, seeing Cisco and seeing that, that character on the screen. And then years later, there, there was some time that I spent as a single parent. 
And that was that that really talked to me. I could really relate to that because that was just so different than and that's the thing that I really like about D Space Nine is that throughout your throughout your entire life, uh, I mean, this is uh, you know, this this show, it's still fine. You can still find things that you can relate to as you get older, going back and and looking at it again. And it's, it's been over 20 years uh, since the since the show aired and you can still relate to the, the characters. I think it's it's extremely relatable still today, despite it being having aired 20 some years ago, 20 years. Yeah, 20 plus years ago. I think it's still relatable because there are still single parents. There are still people trying to be successful in their careers and have a, a healthy family life at home. And and, you know, if, if gee, if you're if you're not a, a straight white male, you, somebody's going to have something to say about it. So I think it, it's it was beautiful. I was speechless for a lot of it. And I thought this was this is so important. This is so valuable. And and I'm so happy that that we have access to it the way we do. I mean, yeah. you can I, get the base level of Netflix. And I you can, really agree. I think it was really cool that DS9 probably gave us our most diverse cast um, from very what, diverse. What I want to what I want to call the the golden age of Trek when in TNG, DS9, and Voyager were on. We had you know um, an African American captain, single father with a son. You had um, uh, two women who were aliens, one of which had lived seven lifetimes as a male and female. The other who was probably the archetype of female that most people would criticize because she's fiery and angry and assertive and, you know, really into her job and not terribly feminine in a lot of in a lot of ways that might be normally viewed as feminine and then i even said that the reason she was attracted to the writing was because the dialogue that was she was written wasn't didn't seem like it was written just for a woman there it, we she, go she, there was it is. Allowed to be, she was allowed to be strong and rebellious and in your face and i mean when I don't know if you remember Emissary, but when Kira comes on stage, we've been used to hanging out with Cisco this whole time, and she is just up in his face from the second you get go, and they're letting us know right away, this ain't your daddy Star Trek. Oh, right, it's I, not. I have loved her from day one. Oh, right. Gosh. I mean, the, nine, amazing. the, the 90s shoulder pads oh. are also front and center, but we don't have to worry about fashion right <laughs> My now. opinions on her costume changes are another another subject that for Starfleet, another day. That, 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 that Starfleet uh, uh, uniform in season seven. Perfect. Oh. Yes, yes. Well, and that ruffled some feathers also. It, it ruffled feathers having a strong female character on TV because... And I, I don't want to. I don't want to point the fingers at particular demographic or say Star Trek fans as a whole. But there is, and I'm, I'm going to walk really tread very carefully on this statement. But when it comes to to science fiction, and it comes to uh, franchises like this, I do believe that there is certainly a a majority demographic of a fan base that was not happy with a strong female character. I've we I've spoken to a, another uh to to a a female fan of of the show today who says she didn't like Kira 
Uh, we didn't get too far into that, so I couldn't tell you why exactly. But if her initial reaction, her initial opinion was eh, of this person, and I don't know why, I'm sure she's got her reasons. But that's as someone who looked at Kira and went, that's me to some degree. Uh, and, you know, seeing this, this fiery, you know, assertive female presence in the show, the representation was, it, I, I'm, it'll change your life. Who says representation doesn't matter? Fight me. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And, and one of the, and it, it's a great thing that you mentioned representation because this was uh, a part in the documentary that Ira uh, Stephen Bear confirmed that I believe a lot of us probably thought was, was that he wanted to go ahead and he and Andrew Robinson intended for Garrick to be a gay Cardassian to, to go ahead and just, and just break that envelope, have Garrick be, be gay. But Ira said, basically I'm paraphrasing that, that he backed down from that, but just kind of got, kind of got cold feet and he regretted it. He, he regretted not going ahead and doing that and just how much they could explore with education. <laughs> okay, I'm done now. I think the thing that Ira regretted the most, at least according was the documentary, was not that they didn't do it, but was that they didn't even try for Garrick and You're right. Bashir. You're right. They, and they and didn't he's, like, he's like, they, they, they have that little, that little exchange there where it's like, well, you know, could we have done it? He's like, that's not the point. We didn't even try. And, and they, yeah. you know, they had that fourth season episode rejoined, which made sense from a trail point of view. Um, and that might have been the only way they got it past, you know, the, uh, the higher ups at, at CBS. And with, with that, I mean, do, do, you, do you think that the, the thought process was if we're going to have gay characters, it would be easier for us to pull it off if it's two women than it would be if we try to pull it off with either party being being a male or two males because lesbians sell apparently it, I, I guess I think you just yeah. summed that up yep uh i was gonna try to dance around that aspect but no i think it's true well, that's I exactly why they got a pass the, the demographic that watched deep space nine at the time was young guys and um you know that that was more attractive than two men kissing and I'm sorry, but the first time, the very first introduction of Garrick and that interaction between Garrick and Bashir, I, I mean, who, who didn't see that? I didn't. Oh, yeah. Because I was 11. Well. Okay, okay. That's a good excuse. That's a very good, good excuse. Here, right? You're excused. Here go, you go. go watch it now. Go watch it now. It, no, it no, hit no. you we like a tumble. last year. I, I watched... Was- I watched it as a, a, by myself. It was one of the few episodes I watched by myself, and I was immediately texting Dad because we weren't in the same um, vicinity at the time. And I'm texting him, going, "Are they serious? What?" <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> and, <laughs> exactly. Well, and there was uh, a story that Terry Farrell had had said about. Let's see. I, I think you, you just said I'm, I'm almost drawing a blank. The episode name. It was rejoined when Curzon's ex-wife Lenara Khan right right um so so now you've got you've got her on the station and Dax is now Jadzia now a female host and I remember the story that that Terry said about that was so the day that they were doing the scene of Jadzia and I'm sorry Lenara 
uh, Lenara Khan was the name right. of the character. Right. So that day that, uh, that Terry Farrell and that actress were going to do that scene and do the kiss, she said that there were so many more people on set and around the stage, et cetera, et cetera, than there, there ever had been. So, so Laurie, you're, you're right. That's what sells. And that tells you right there is, you know, word gets out that, oh, they're filming the, the lesbian kissing scene. Let, let's go check it out. So That's exactly it, what happened. Right. That is precisely what happened. That they, they had a whole <laughs> lot of extra people hang around. And that just tells you right there that that's, that's what sells. And yes, I'm sure that was a much easier sell to the studio than it would have been to have Garrick coming out of the, coming out of the closet. Well, they would have gotten protesters for that one. Oh yeah. Not my Trek. Mm-mm. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have a, not my Trek crew in yeah. every track. I mean, there's, there's going to be the the resistance and the purists in every fandom who want to see what they already loved continued. Um, but, you know, I think time has shown, just as it has with the TNG people who didn't like it, the, the DS9 people who didn't like it, Voyager, Enterprise, we come around in the end. Those, those immediate reactions soften over time. People give things chances. They realize they were wrong. You know, and and the rest of the fandom, you know, we we grow together. And I think that above all should be the permeating message of Star Trek is, you know, IDIC. And we're going to have Star Trek in infinite diversity and infinite combinations. And part of accepting that is accepting that everybody's take on Star Trek is going to be a little bit different. And that's the true challenge is being able to see that and say, you know what, I think I can dig it. And I think an untapped um, representation that they they got into, especially with the character and the design of Jadzia, was anyone who, and this is coming from the younger generation watching this, uh, anyone who felt non-binary or or just sort of in between somewhere, uh, not one and not the other, but both and neither at the same time. You've got this character that's been one and the other and one and the other and one and the other and all these life experiences that they've accumulated over time. Uh, I think that was amazing to see as a non-binary person on screen and represented with with experience and intelligence and wit and... and Strength and oh. the ability to to snark up the the usual characters. Well, right, but be also being an extremely valuable person and have that, yeah, it's emphasized, but it's not the biggest deal. And I thought, you know, they may not even have known that they reached out to that, but they did. Yeah, and you got to remember, this was in the 90s. Right. Yeah, th- this was in the 90s when there, there really was not, uh, th- that was still mostly unheard of. So it was very forward thinking because if you if you see these things now then it's not it's almost like it's it's, it's not a big deal i mean you you, you see uh, uh jadzia and lanara you see you go to battlestar galactica there was uh, admiral kane uh played by michelle forbes who was who's was rolaren in tng uh had this thing for one of the Cylons, one of the, one, you know, one of the uh, female Cylons. And I think another, another character. And it's the kind of things that you don't even, you don't put a whole lot of thought into it. You know, b- back then, yeah, that was, that ruffled a lot of feathers. But now 
you don't realize it. It just kind of, it's, it's more normal now. And that was one of the things that I, I, uh, there's a lot of things we can commend Deep Space Nine on in, in regards to how many things it did that was pretty revolutionary back then. One, the serialized, uh, serialized storytelling, uh, the, the inclusion of, of minorities, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, I, I can't think of any show since then that, that had done that in, in such a complete package like Deep Space Nine. And it is so interesting even today beyond the, the identity social issues, how well they still capture and resonate with other social issues, such as, you know, Far Beyond the Stars um, is, a, is a strong episode about um, keeping black men down and, and police abuse. And then you've got Past Tense Part 1 and 2 that talks about unemployment and the homeless and the mentally ill and sanctuary cities and, and governments turning their back on people. And, and the scary thing is that, that stuff's happening. Like right. it, that is what's scary. It, like it's still happening. You know, everybody has cameras now, so maybe it feels like it's happening more. You know, like we didn't have cameras in the nineties and we didn't have the internet, so we couldn't just pop it up on Facebook and instantly reach out to hundreds of people about these injustices. They were happening then, they're happening now. And watching shows like DS9 makes you really question how much we have moved forward from those issues. You know, if, if six guys in a writer's room could pop out these episodes 25 years ago, what, where are we now? I mean, that's, that's pretty scary considering like, if you look at how the dominion turned on Cardassia and you look at what happened like yesterday in Hong Kong, it's terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good, good example. You're absolutely right. Let's turn a brighter corner. A little bit. I'm glad um, you mentioned a brighter corner because uh, what I thought was was really bright and was really a lot of fun to look at. How about the CGI redo of the battle scene from Sacrifice of Angels when Starfleet was making a run to get through the Dominion and retake Deep Space Nine? It was so, so pretty. Oh, that was so um, nice to the, look the at. Detail. I love the detail of it. I love the fact that when those ships explode, they look like real explosions and not just superimposed fire effects. Yes. Um, I, I just we just watched the the first episode of Voyager, Caretaker, part one and two. And when the Kazon ships are crashing into the Caretaker's array, you can see the ships head towards the array. But then it's just a superimposed fire effect and that's an some Power Rangers level explosions there. It's super obvious. You see them jump. And in the DS9 out. space battle, it's it's the same thing, but with that HD re-render with the original people who rendered that scene the first time, who got a hold of the original clips and rebuilt them frame by frame with new models. Um, they look amazing. Uh, the colors are super vibrant. Um, it's it's crisper. The picture is is definitely oh yeah clearer. You put that on some VR and you just just zone out. And the it. range of the battle is much grander. Like there are a lot of ships in there that you that I just didn't pay attention to when I watched it in the rewatch that we just did. It's there's it's so much of, going on. Yeah, 
you know, you can watch that, that little clip, that little 20 second clip, you could watch that seven or eight times and focus on a different thing. You know, first thing you see is the defiant. Then you look in the background at all the, the brain ships. And, and then you look, uh, there's, there's, um, there's galaxy class ships that are flying around in there and Excelsior class ships and these Vorcha class Klingon cruisers coming out of the sky with tremendously more detail than was originally rendered. It's mind-blowing. You're right. It's, it's really rich. You can watch it five or six different times and have something new or something different to, to look at and to focus on because there's so much going on. And that scene alone, uh, I'm sitting here watching it right now. It's just, it's amazing. This right here is, I think, the, the big thing that we, we keep asking for and asking for. Please give us a high-def redo of Deep Space Nine. Please take these battles and and do the same thing. And I, I, I read, I can't remember where I read this. I know it was in conjunction with the, um, uh, the documentary was the, the fact that yes, it was from someone who actually worked on the, this re-render was that it's, it can be, it is affordable. It can be done. It's not as hard as everyone. Well, it would be like impossible to us, but to them, it's one of those things. It's like, no, it's not as hard as what's being made out. And it's not as expensive as what's being led on. This can be done. It, it can happen. It's just a matter of what does CBS want to spend their money on? And apparently they, for whatever reason, just don't want to. I, I don't know. I don't know what if you know the margins aren't right or price point or whatever. But basically this guy said, yes, this can be done. Absolutely can be done. Yeah. Um, you know, and I hope that there are enough people who are interested in this documentary that gives CBS the green light to say, you know what, it's probably worth it. I'd buy it. Well, who, whoever would have thought at, at any time that we would get Jean-Luc Picard back. And, and look at that. And, and that's happening. You know, we, we've got pretty much... Uh, it, unofficially, I've I've seen a lot of folks refer to it as season eight of TNG, which will be fine, except that you know there's it's not on the Enterprise. It doesn't have the main crew. Um, data, <laughs> either data or B four or a hologram of one or the other. Um, you know that's up in the air a little bit. It's got to be B four. Um, we did just watch Nemesis recently too, so that arc is has been revealed. I've been filled in on this. Um, <laughs> well, there's been so many shows making a comeback or returning. I just, you, you've got to think that in looking our lifetime, at, looking we'll at get you, to Beverly Hills 90210. I mean, I'm thrilled just for the oh, Picard yes, yeah. thing. Nah, just for the Picard thing, because the one thing I love about Star Trek of, for all the series is that there is there's always hope even if it looks really dire you you know something there's hope something's going to make this right and and they don't they don't leave you torn apart at the end of an episode without some semblance of no something someone's going to come through this is this is going to be made right someone we're going to be okay for mostly uh, maybe not blowing up nog right away right right exactly well and uh i'm I'm at the part 
in the documentary now, I'm kind of just jumping around a little bit here and there as we're as we're talking, and they're getting to the part where uh, the, the the talk of bringing in a TNG character into Deep Space Nine and uh, talking to Michael Dorn about it about it being Worf, and the the reception kind of at first was they they were a little slighted. Ar- Armin Shimmerman in this documentary said that they felt slighted about that that they were bringing in a new character and that uh, he would be a threat to other characters. And I really think that the start of season four was just that, that big one-two punch of Cisco's got the, the goatee and the bald head. Now, he had the goatee within, I want to say the... Yes, the last two episodes of season three, but season four, he comes in, he's got the goatee, he's got the shaped head. Then we have Worf coming on the station. I mean, you want to talk about a show growing the beard. It, it, it grew the goatee, shaved the head, and brought on a badass Klingon. And I, I, I remembered seeing that when it, when it aired, just Worf stepping onto the uh, uh, D Space Nine on the on the station, that was that was big. I, I think that was a the big uh, big addition for the show. I mean, if we bring somebody back from either TNG or Deep Space Nine, especially Deep Space Nine, sure, we'd love to have everybody. But Worf would certainly be like the the oh yeah moment because oh Worf's yes. here oh it's gonna go down. <laughs> Yeah, you're you're right, and my my gut instinct is to say if there's anyone that I want to see come back again, it'd be Worf. But another part of me says we've we've gotten plenty of Worf. He he was in four movies, um, ten seasons. I'm I'm sorry, uh, eleven seasons of Trek, and four movies. I I, I think we've. We've explored Worf inside and out. If, if you were to have a cameo or have an appearance on Picard, I would not be disappointed. I wouldn't. It's just, you know, what, what else? What else can we do with 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 the with the character? I, I think him coming on the DS Nine was was great, and it seemed like a, eventually was pretty well received among the cast. Klingons do not get explored in and out. <laughs> yes, they also don't get prostate cancer. Um, <laughs> Are you going to check a Klingon? Are you going to check a Klingon for prostate cancer? Come on, they've got all those. They need a bot for redundant that. Redundant organs. Who needs to worry about <laughs> that when you're a Klingon? No, no. Wouldn't it be really? Sorry, this just popped in my head. Wouldn't it be really cool to have a cameo from Quark? Who, yes, you know, okay. yes, yes, yes. Just sure. He may not have come into direct contact with Picard. It personally, but he runs sort of the hub. He sees everybody because he's the place where everybody stops through on their way to this and their mission to that and their quest for that or whatever. And he's got such a massive network. Would it would it not be almost like oh uh, yeah of, of course it's Quark you know to, for him to show up when we need something that seems impossible and boof here's Quark. Because he knew about that. Because he's got a massive network. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you on that. It, it seems like it would be a pretty logical choice. My, one of the parts I really liked about this, uh, what we left behind, was the, uh, uh, the Ferengi 
episodes and to talk about that because I think that on Deep Space Nine, some of the Ferengi episodes were some of my favorite ones. It, it was always fun to see the Ferengi. I, I, I might be alone in that. I'm not saying that the Ferengi episodes were my absolute favorites. It was just that it was it was a delight to see those. Like I, I never minded seeing a Ferengi episode. Moogie is the grandma I wish I had. <laughs> Moogie. Yeah, the Ferengi episodes were unexpectedly wholesome because, you know, in the beginning, this is the first series to really go into Ferengi culture. You, you had you had some Ferengis on TNG, but they weren't the... It was almost an insult to what we saw on DS9. Well, and that's the thing is for those of us who saw TNG first, we're going into DS9 going, oh, no, it's these these crazy womanizing savages. They wouldn't even let them stand up straight in TNG. Right. right. And, and what we got were really well-developed three-dimensional society with, you know, rules of acquisitions being quoted left and right. 178 words for rain. Um <laughs> Really thoughtful dynamics from a society that was very, to begin with, very um, male-dominated. Women were relegated to living in their homes, not wearing clothes, pre-chewing food for their mates. I mean, it was, it was as bad a parody as you can get. And I to have that end with, you know, um, Ishka coaching the Negus into making uh, Varanganar more progressive, handing the staff over to, to Ram, who you know is just going to be, you know, an amazing leader for that kind of Varanganar. And you you gave the perfect word to describe the, the Ferengi episodes, wholesome. They were all wholesome episodes, which is not something that you <laughs> expected in, in DS9 with with the Ferengi episodes. They, they were just downright wholesome episodes. And it certainly wasn't your your cookie cutter wholesome. I think I think what I, I admired so much about the Ferengi episodes, despite them being kind of awkward and maybe cringy here or there, but it was the depiction of what you might call a dysfunctional family that yes. functioned. <laughs> they functioned. You could see it like it's not perfect. They don't they aren't always super kind and respectful to each other. They have some issues and they do get out a little bit. And yeah, there's some manipulation here or or there, but nobody's out to really no no one really means what they say when they're get when they get mean and, and vindictive about it. And I, I love that depiction in comparison to Cisco's family, which was very wholesome. And I thought that was kind of important. To show, you know, that there's another family and it's not perfect either, but and they handle it very differently, but they handle it. You're right. Absolutely. And for anyone listening who wants to see a, a very peak Ferengi episode, there is the Magnificent Ferengi where Quark puts together a ragtag of of other Ferengi cohorts of his to go rescue his mom. Oh, boy. From from. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, from Impoch Nor, uh, from another, uh, basically arranging a prisoner exchange. From, because despite not liking Moogie for this reason or that reason or whatever it is, you can't lose her. Oh, yeah, you no, you can't. The whole planet will fall apart. Right. <laughs> well, especially when she's being held captive by Iggy Pop. 
Well, there goes one of my trivia questions for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to take your part away, but he was a great Vorta. He, he, was, he was a great Vorta. Now, if you want to see a Ferengi episode that was maybe kind of missed the mark, there is Profit and Lace. Yep. And there's a lot of controversy around that that I don't think I'm qualified to get into. It's, it's all kinds of gray matter. I don't even think I'm qualified. So I think we'll talk that up as to none of us are qualified to really dive in. To, <laughs> Not to my division. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, Little Green Men. That was hilarious. The Where um, Nog, Quark, and Rom and Odo get stuck on Area 51 during the Roswell incident. Oh, my gosh. Um, we, had, we made a great gif. Oh, oh. Uh, regarding all the, the Area 51 memes that are so popular right now. I don't now. think I could breathe during that episode. I was laughing so hard. But then, you know, you get a lot of, you know, I, I go back to Nog. The way that Nog had some really defining moments um, when he approaches Cisco to say, I don't want to be like my dad. You know, I don't want to live this legacy of, of yes. horribleness. I I want to be in Starfleet, and he and not only does he want to be in Starfleet, but he still approaches being in Starfleet like a Ferengi. Like I'm going to bribe you to to let me be in Starfleet, and when do I get my uniform? It's like, uh, no, you have to go to school, my friend. Absolutely, <laughs> you can't lose your culture, right? No, and it, it was the perfect blend of writing for that character. He had that moment. He had a moment where uh, he had he had that moment on Valiant where he gets to be with his heroes, Red Squad, um, who were dispatched on that mission during the events of Paradise Lost, by the way. Correct. Just wanted to point that out. Um, and especially in the two, I call it a two-part episode, but it's not really. There's an episode in between. But the Siege of AR-558 and It's Only a Paper Moon, where... You know, Nog is lying on that bed, having lost his leg, and he he seems to be taking it like a champ. But you really can tell that the writers' room was like, okay, let's how do we deal with this in a context that respects that was war. That was such an important call out, and that I that meant a lot to a lot of people. Oh yeah, and Nog went from being a mischievous little kisser, um, delinquent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> To, to a, you know, a gaining respectable officer who was just trying to do his best on this and, and do everything. And, and then he went through true trauma. He, he, he gave it all. Yeah. And, and sure, we can grow you a new leg and all, but it's not the same. The because you still had gets. to experience it. And he comes through and you see this massive arc, this massive change in him. And you cry because you're watching him go through this and you you see how ragged it leaves his mind you're right there's there's a lot of thankfulness uh in in this documentary they talked to some veterans who who said that they, they really appreciated the depiction that they gave nog for for war and what he was what he suffered what he was going through and and you're right it, it's it's the kind of thing that just you're you're watching this and your mouth is dropped open because you expect something like that to happen to probably one of the, the you know the more Cisco. I guess yeah, yeah. So Cisco. Well, I was so thinking somebody, we one of the more background of the characters. Yeah, probably a little right. more background than than him. Yeah, it's not something not. anybody wants to talk about. 
but it's it, it's here. It's very real for the yeah. person who's going through it, and they can't just shove it off in a corner. And and this from growing up watching primetime TV with my parents and and all of NCIS, they haven't nearly touched the depth of emotion that this kind of trauma causes someone as DS9 did, I promise you. And they spent, uh, there was an entire episode, entire Nog episode, which was was great for, for a character that, that was not, I don't want to say uh, among the B group, that, that just does it injustice, but for, for a character that was not one of the, you know, the, the primary five or six uh, Starfleet officers in, in Kira, got a whole episode to himself to to explore all of this and what happened now if this had been voyager that whole issue would have been wrapped in an episode would have been done you would never have heard anything about it again but deep space nine spent a couple episodes solely on on that topic which was which was amazing you know and we were talking about you know representation for underrepresented groups wounded warrior representation straight up in that episode Oh yes, yes, we did. DS9 might have been the Dark Trek, which is it was a new concept to me watching them talk about how everybody was calling it the Dark Trek. And I'm like, I was four. Um <laughs> <laughs> sorry. But but I mean it totally matches the tone of those serialized fictional dramas that are out there today. It DS9 was was rough and tumble, and it was it was not polished like TNG. And it's Shakespearean presentation of conflict and dealing with that stuff. It's it's not as clear cut as so many other things. DS9 was it was real. It is real. And I think that's why it made such an impact, because it was real to so many people who who had not much else to go on. It was about 10 years ahead of its time. It Indeed. really was. Future was, Jay, when you're in the editing booth, please superimpose the Avery Books track from where he's screaming, it's real, in that moment. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Future Yes, Jay. yes, yes. That, that particular episode, I, it took me a few days to get over because the sheer exhibition of emotion, the sheer investment, the, the raw energy in that. I, the, 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 and Nana captures that. that. Ha ha, funny. Nana captures that. God, Jesus. <laughs> Nana captures that in the documentary as well when she's talking about how he gave that speech around that table and then he just collapses and she's like being an actor you talk about letting you know letting God in meaning letting the role take you where the role goes and when he collapsed and I just saw him fall into it and he was gone and it took him a bit to come back she was the one holding him so she saw that and the assistant director was there saying you know, I bet I could have just recorded for half an hour and Avery would have been doing that for half an hour. Um, right. Yeah, he said he he was the one who was in charge of, of saying cut, but he just did not know what to do. Yeah, Should keep I keep mind, this going? That was just the assistant director because Avery Brooks was the director of that episode. Right, absolutely. Which I also think is extremely important that he got to direct a handful of those. Jazz singer. Yes, yes. Like talk no jazz singer. That, that was talking Avery Brooks. What what they were saying in the in the documentary, and they're absolutely right. Too much good stuff. So I only have two trivia questions. <laughs> oh no! Trivia Is that the alert? alert? Is that the trivia alert? Trivia uh, alert. Okay, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. 
All right, let me get my trivia hat on. While while we've been sitting here talking, um, I have been just writing down little notes about the things we've been talking about. Uh, you got the first one right already in the Magnificent Ferengi when they exchanged Iska for Kivan, who played the other Vorta. Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop. Oh, right, right, yeah. Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop. Um, in the Pale Moonlight was originally written as a conflict between Captain Sisko and who? It wasn't between Captain Sisko and Garrick? No. So, ooh. Originally, it was between Captain Sisko and Jake. Wow. They originally pitched that episode, Jake being the ever-vigilant news reporter, stumbles upon something interesting, goes to investigate it, gets a clue from Garrick, who lets him know that, you know, well, this sort of, this he follows the trail back to his dad, where he realizes his dad did what he did in that episode to, and, and it, it caused a rift between Jake and Cisco. Oh, I like and, that. And, and they took that, they took that draft and they read it and they're like, Avery's never going to go for this. The, the bond between Jake and, and, and Ben is way too strong. It's never going to happen. So they changed it to be a much more internal struggle for Cisco and Garrick. Yeah, I mean, you're right, but that would have been very a very fitting DS9 episode. Like, right, I, I it, w- it would have been very DS9. Yes, yes, that would not have been abnormal. That, that would have been perfect DS9. Wow, yeah, I didn't know that one. I'm uh, very bad. I don't remember the names of the specific episodes. I just remember what happened. Well, then this next trivia question is going to be a little bit more difficult. Fun. <laughs> if you didn't like it before, you're not going to like it now. Great. What was the name of the episode <laughs> that the Kira Ducat affair became? Oh, no. I know the episode. I forgot the name. Kira like- Hardigay bursting through the wall like the, the Kool-Aid man. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so a hint. <laughs> this is the episode that inspired Fragged. Um... I haven't actually recorded oh. on it yet because we chose to do There's a name the more for classic this, episode. I remember the name of, of Star Trek for Frag. But I can't do words right now. The oh, name man. of this episode is Wrongs Darker Than Death or Night. That's right. Oh man, I know. That's that's right. So uh yeah, those are the three trivia questions that I had for uh the documentary. Um gosh, were there any other burning things? We didn't get through all the special features. Oh, did you watch the credits? Yes, I did. Yes, when, yeah, the credits. <laughs> when Ira and Nana are talking about the best moment of Deep Space Nine, and they cut to Ala Moraine. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, dear. Um, very much a classic. We, we actually got a hit from Nana on Twitter when I posted that, so it's cool. I like it. I love it. Well, there's there's so much. And we, we, could, we could be sitting here for another hour talking about the documentary. It's great. Uh, I would highly encourage our listeners to check out what we left behind it's a it was a very good very well thought out documentary and it's not it's not your typical uh, talking head on-screen documentary it was very well produced put together uh i'm I'm not i'm not huge on on documentaries but this one was really top-notch so really please if you have means to to get it 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 is out on blu-ray uh, I would highly recommend it. I, I give it a 10 out of 10. Easy. And 
don't forget to document your reviews on Amazon so that the producers of that documentary can feed that information back to uh, the people who might be able to make an HD DS9 re-release a thing. Yes, yes. Yes, we need that. We need the HD DS9 re-release. We need uh, season eight. We, 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 need, we need some more DSpace 9. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond Trek Podcast. I'm Dag. I'm Big J. I just came for the food. And that's the show. <laughs> no, that's perfect. That is hilarious. That's hilarious. I like that. That is in it. That's definitely going to be in it. <laughs> I'm here for the food. <laughs> we are Beyond Trek Podcast. Lower your inhibitions and surrender your years. We will add inspirational and hilarious Trek content to your day. Your attention will adapt to subscribe to us. Resistance is futile.